This week on Bellwether Hub, I am thrilled to welcome Patrick McAndrew, the founder of the Bowery Common. Patrick's business and passion is to help people learn differently in these new and conceptual ways. It will fundamentally change the way you think about how you position yourself in the workplace and in this new economy. Fascinating information. I love chatting with him. He's got amazing stories. And the greatest thing about him is that he told me the grades I got in grade school were not reflective of my intelligence. And that's relieving. Stay tuned. I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Welcome to Bellwether. Thank you for joining us. This month, I have been highlighting Irish Bellwethers. This is this is uh, the Irish month. I like to call it the Irish month. And we have some amazing guests here. I always like to take people who are good influencers, who make outsized impact. I always say that Ireland, for the size of its country, it has one of the most outsized impacts of any country out there. And living in New York, we get to see that really firsthand with all of the Irish people coming in and out of, of New York City. And so today, I'm very happy to have as a guest, Patrick McAndrew, the founder of the Bowery Common. And Patrick has done a lot of work on how adults like to learn. And he's done it's, it's a fascinating conversation on how we all need to relearn uh, how to learn, and, and we restructure the way that we approach things to learn. And I, I thought it was a very fascinating topic to cover. I really wanted to bring him on the podcast because that's really what bell, being a bellwether is all about. Being a bellwether is about learning from other people and learning how to learn. And that's really, you know, when I think back to my career and where I've come from and, and where I've evolved to, this learning of loving or loving of learning really is, is what's most important and most attributable to my success. And so, so I'm very happy to have Patrick here with us today. Patrick, thank you for being on Bellwether. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real treat to be here. I, I spent many years on the opposite side of the table where you are interviewing people. So it is a nice uh, shift to, to be on this side. It is nice to be on the, the being interviewed side. Where is, you yeah. get to, you know, you think about all the interview questions for other people. And sometimes it's just nice to I talk I actually learn a lot from it as well, you know, where uh, you've been very professional in your in your um conversations with me and in, in preparing for this interview and it's been a nice insight into see how you prepare for these as well which has taught me a lot too so yeah which means now that you've just set it up since you've been on my side and you've uh, you've done the interviews and you've seen all these other people this has to be the greatest podcast we've ever had Oh, 100%. You've just put these this pressure on you that you need to to execute, and that's or what we're in here this for. beautiful studio. You know, we've got a great setup, yeah, so we'll have to make it count. There you go. So tell us about you. Tell us about the Bowery Common. Tell us about where you got to where you are and why you do what you do. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a journey of many kind of circuitous lanes, but the Bowery Common, as it stands uh, today, is a learning and development organization, um, essentially professional development organization. And how I came to, well, the, what we focus on is we focus on maximizing mental performance. So where we focus ourselves is we kind of try to scratch a part of the mind that most people don't focus on, and that's cognitive skills. So a lot of us where we try and we try and make improvements on ourselves 
above the foundational layer, we go to the foundation. The foundation of all of our thinking and learning are cognitive skills. So the cognitive skills that we all have, we all share collectively, are thinking, learning, reading, memory, attention, and focus. And we've known when we need to use these skills uh, for as long as we can remember. And they're also very much so ingrained in the fabric of our personality. You know, we have our beliefs and associations with our, our ability to memorize things or not, or our ability to read well or not, or our capacity as a learner or our incapacity. But never have we really been taught how to use these skills. So through a journey myself of of curiosity and learning, I I came to start this company to help people to get to that foundational layer, to become kind of master learners, to understand how to use their mind effectively. And once you do that, it's just a success multiplier that trickles into every different part of your life because these five skills are so core to everything that we do. Now, when you talk about, so we're talking about cognitive skills. And when I think about cognitive skills, you know, thinking, learning, reading, when you hear those words, memory, attention, focus, all of this, We've done that, right? So we've all we've spent time in school. We've learned. We we think every day. We uh, we remember that we have to brush our teeth in the morning. We remember all of these things. When you say you're scratching what we don't use, tell me more about that because I, I feel like we have these assumptions on thinking and learning and and all of these things. But as you get older, it really does fall to the wayside because we aren't learning new things. So tell me more about scratching what we're not really using anymore. Right. So if we think about thinking and learning, first of all, those two, uh, they are kind of observed to be just a kind of your innate process of doing it. You know, you don't think about how you can reflect on your thinking process or your learning process. But the way that we we typically think is in is in information rather than broad concepts. And the rather the reason why that is is because that's how we've been conditioned to do it from school. So we're always focusing on the information because that's what's most ne- necessary and relevant for the exam that's coming up. Whereas when we get out into life, it's all about the concepts, how we can be a multidisciplinary thinker, how we can connect multiple disciplines together. And if there was ever a time where that's more pertinent, it's today because less and less of the work that we are required to do is that kind of arcane, repetitive work where you're just doing processing work. That's now going to computers where we're being used, which is fantastic. You know, people worry about AI, but it's wonderful because it's actually alleviating us from doing the arcane work so that we can use our minds to its full capacity, which is to be a broad interdisciplinary thinker. But school has never taught us how to do that, nor has work really taught us how to do that because everything that we gu- we are guided towards is how we just consume and focus on information. And that leads into learning in the same way that because of that, we learn in isolation. So I recently spoke and what I believe is that there should be learning concepts rather than learning in isolation. And to give you a a clear example of this, I spoke with somebody recently who's studying medicine. Now, to be a doctor, you have to have an incredible ability to be an interdisciplinary thinker. You have all these different subsets of information, but you need to bring them all together at the right moment in time to make the right decision on how you treat a patient, especially if you're a surgeon or somebody along those lines. But when you actually learn it in school, you learn everything in isolation. You learn everything under the category of the subject. Yet when you go out into your job, you're expected to find a way to weave all of these things together. But nobody's taught you how to do that. There's just an expectation that you can do it. And that's where we struggle. That's why we feel overwhelmed. Because we need to bring all these things, all these knowledge points together, but we've never learned a system for it. And 
some this this term mental models might be familiar to some people and it may not be and what a mental model is is it's essentially your framework of thinking of something so whether that is your daily routine that could be a mental model in itself because it is a model of how you approach the world if there is a problem uh, such as a problem with your children and you typically approach it in a similar format either to go forward to them with love and care or to discipline them and hope that you know they will they will respond to that discipline that is your mental model of responding to that situation similarly we all have mental models on how we think and how we learn and what I see our company is doing is that we are reframing those mental models so that we don't think in information, we think in concepts. We don't learn in isolation, we learn in broad interdisciplinary thinking. And that goes deeper than into reading memory, attention, and focus. Okay, I have like seven different paths <laughs> that I want to go down. I'm going to see how I can I can maybe There's navigate. There's much to navigate, yeah. I know, it's so big. So real quick though, it's over time, and what I've seen in, in coaching organizations, a lot of people, their mental models are driven by what they learned maybe growing up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm. 90s, which is outdated. Mm. Are you fundamentally changing the way that people like to think about things? I mean, when I'm thinking about thinking about concepts, a concept is a difficult thing to make tangible. And how do you teach someone to think about a, a concept in a tangible way so that they're able to take this as a model to move forward? How do you approach something like that? Well, I, I think it, it's, it's, it's a generally – so actually just to go back on what you said there about the 60s, 70s, 80s, I think there's great, there's great virtues that we can take from those times um, where actually people then were much deeper thinkers. You know, today there is a great focus on being a shallow thinker and a shallow learner where we skim enough so that we can talk about it, but we don't actually understand the thing. You know, we we feel like there's a, a necessity to be able to summarize what we just covered as opposed to being able to really understand it deeply. Whereas back then, I think there was more of a focus on that. Well, so let's pause for that. So when you think about you're learning in isolation, mm. you can learn about something deeply. Like if we think about... Um, Maybe as a doctor, you think about one aspect of broken bones, and then you think about an aspect of uh, maybe the immune system. And you learn. so I imagine you will learn things deeply. And now you're talking about creating it conceptually. But as we learn less, as we have less information, or we we have so much information that we're just going going surface. How do you treat something conceptually, but also go deep at the same time? Okay, so I will give you a very. Uh, clear example on something that I just listened to yesterday. So uh, at the moment, the coronavirus is uh, causing a bit of a pandemic, or I'm not going to say that just yet, because it has not, <laughs> not been yet. labeled yes, a pandemic, yes, yes. but <laughs> it is causing a bit of hysteria. Okay. The markets are responding to that hysteria. People are taking all different types of insights into how the markets are responding. But when we actually go to recognize that there is a system and how the markets work, right, they go through six phases. They are essentially at the, at the sixth phase right now where they are, they are the most vulnerable to any responses. So if, this, if the coronavirus was to have uh, come out in, let's say, 2012, the markets may have dropped 2 to 3% because uh, there was, they were less fragile. Um, they hadn't gone through such a long bull market. But today, when the coronavirus comes out, they are waiting for something to affect them. 
So if, if you were just focusing on the information at this day and time at the moment, you could look at the markets based on the information that's there and what's being given to you. But once you understand the concept of that the markets work in six phases, well, then you can use that any time in your life of when there's a problem affecting the markets. So what it means is that you begin with a concept and then you learn the information. And before we came on air, you know, we can apply this to many, many, many different things. So I'll try and give a couple of different example points so we can frame it in people's minds. Talking about languages. Language is a very interesting thing because there are people who we just assume are good at languages and people who are bad at languages. But for many of us who are bad at languages, I can say as an Irish person and many other Irish people, I'm not labeling everybody, but there is a general viewpoint that we are bad at learning languages. And really that is down to the way that we learn it, not that we ourselves are bad at learning languages. There's a reason why in the Nordic countries, they're far better at learning languages because English is not dubbed. They, If there is an English show, it's shown in those Nordic countries as it is. If you want to watch Friends, you listen to it in the in the American accents. It's not dubbed over in a, with a Danish speaker. So what happens is they get to understand the interactions of how the language is used. You know, language is a form of communication where there's a lot of subtleties, and you need to see the visuals of those subtleties to really understand it. Then if you start to learn the grammar and how to conjugate a verb, it makes it a lot easier because now you can just build that on top of your mental network of what you understand about the language. Whereas in a lot of the Western world, we start off learning the information, which is the grammar, how to conjugate a verb, but never do we understand the concept of the language, how it works. The same applies to math. We begin by learning all these equations, but we never understand what the concept of the equations is. I can use the same analogy for law. I studied law in school. I would have to go in and I would have to learn cases, a lot of cases, because Ireland is a common law system, so we'd have to understand, you know, what, what case led to the rulings that we have today. But never, do, well, maybe it was my fault in class, but I never understood the kind of the mental model of thinking like a lawyer, which is definitely a way of thinking. Instead, I was always just focusing on the information so that I could score well on the exams. And this is what it comes back to, that if companies could focus and people who are learning could focus on the concept, like, what is this thing? And it takes longer to figure out and it's a little bit more challenging. But once you can figure that out, then you can start to drop in all the different types of information. You can apply this to history if you wanted to look at uh, at the war, if you wanted to look at what the general flow of conflict was throughout World War II. Then when you start to drop in the dates, the dates will seamlessly sit in because you understand where it fits into the flow of the war. I imagine uh, something like this is very difficult to measure. So as I think of, you know, when I think of the way that we used to learn, I knew I was successful because I could repeat it back. Right, and I could repeat back everything that I memorized and all of that other stuff. But to measure a concept and how to teach a concept, I imagine is fairly impossible. But how do you know that you're being successful at learning concept concepts as you're thinking about the new way to work going forward? Well, this is the funny thing. So the mind itself, and it, it, so there's two things to that. First of all, is the mind itself is very bad at judging when we're learning, and the neuroscientists understand that now. So. If this simple analogy is if it's easy, you're not learning uh, because or you're not learning something new anyway, because what's happening is, is when you're learning something in your mind, you're firing off neural networks. So you're literally, you know, we hear that saying together when they fire together or when they wire together, they fire together. And that means that those wires, because if you just think of the brain like a web you're just creating these different pathways where one set of information is going to the next, to the next, to the next, and we're connecting things. So to actually establish those networks takes time. So yes, it is challenging to understand that. And the mind is very bad at recognizing that. That's why we come to this point where we feel a little bit stumped. 
and we're like, this isn't working. I, I should be able to do this and I'm not. But what you need is to recognize that that is actually the golden point. And the problem with that is, is that we haven't been conditioned to think that way from school. We've been taught to always seek how to make it easier. And we have all these different tools and technologies now that are trying to make learning easier. But it's not actually built around how our brain works. Because we assume that as technology advances, our ability to process information and bite-sized nuggets should advance at the same pace. But our brain doesn't evolve at that rate. We still have this brain that's been around for thousands of years, which is kind of a, a mishap structure of different components of what was needed at a point in time in our civilization. But yet we expect that it's going to match up with our technological advancement. So I think it requires a shift in mindset that we need to recognize that this is somewhat of a broken machine at times, but sometimes a beautiful machine. And that once you understand it based on how the neuroscience works, you can work in a cohesive manner with it as opposed to thinking, well, if everything is on bullet points. And just to give you an example on this, I work a lot with insurance companies, right? And they're struggling a lot at the moment because they need to adapt and evolve their consumer market. They're their market of their salespeople. And they need to become, where in the past you could go down to PJ Clark's and get somebody a burger and say, I've got this great insurance product, you should take it. And they'd say, Jim's a great guy. I'll take that from him. And when somebody else comes in, I'll, I'll tell them about this insurance product. It doesn't work like that today because they're no longer the gatekeepers of information. It's available everywhere. So now they need to become experts. They need to have an advisory role on this. So all these insurance companies are spending millions of making these insurance products easier to digest. But it's not making the people better learners. They're still struggling to become experts. And that's because you can make it as easy as you want, just like schools are introducing iPads for students, thinking that we are part of the technology. But our brains are not designed that way. So I think it, it takes, it requires a true understanding of how the brain works. And once you do that, you approach it with a bit more patience. So for something, you know, for, for people who have maybe children in school, right? Mm. So you've got, I, I see this as two different buckets. You've got the people who need to relearn how to learn. Mm. Uh, the uncomfortable, I would say, aged 30 to 60, where you're going to have a very bumpy road over the next you know, 10 to 20 years. But then you have an opportunity for your children to say, you know what, I want to position you for success in the future. We're not going to change the educational model in this country. I feel like that's just not going to happen. It's too ridiculous and it's never going to um, – it's just never going to change simply because you can't measure a lot of this stuff. Um, do you have tips for people with children who have to sit through these ridiculous classes all day long and they have to do their homework outside of it? How do you teach someone to start thinking conceptually? How do you teach someone to look at things slightly differently as they're, you know, throughout their daily whatever? Uh, so there is some great work being done at the moment. Um, I'll, I'll get to that question very quickly um, by a guy called Kieran O'Mahony, who is an Irish guy, and he's based of out course. of yeah, and he's based out of Washington State, and he has done a ton of work on the connection between neuroscience and learning and education. And I've learned a lot from him, where he has basically exp he's. he's he has looked at why some students succeed and why some stu students don't and what the chemical makeup is of their brains that differ. And he's come to understand that it's essentially the structure of teaching, how there are kind of two subsets of individuals. And we probably don't have time to get into all of that today, but there is a change coming and teachers are becoming much more responsive to it because they want a collective class of success as opposed to 30% who succeed. 
40% who don't do that well and then another 30% who are just flunking. They want to be able to take care of everybody and they're making gains in that. So they're t- piloting his program of teaching in Washington State. And the thing about it is that this can be measured. It's just measured in a different format. We need to change the way that it's being tested upon. Because if you're trying to test in a grade to see what somebody's short-term memory is, well, then we'll keep the current system. But if you want to test them to see how well they understand things or how good they are at problem solving or how good they are at making these decisions, well, then you can do those kind of tests based on the concepts. And that's based on interaction, group work, conversations. And that's being used in some countries. I remember when I studied in France, a lot of the exams were oral exams where you kind of got to gauge the person's actual understanding of something and have a true conversation with them. And I think that's a great model to go down. But in terms of a parent teaching their child, I think one thing is that's hugely important, just the preface to this, is what's what's being covered by Carol Dweck is the growth mindset. I know when I was growing up, my mum was very supportive of us, uh, but she probably didn't realise that just um, statements like, you're so smart, or you'll do great, are actually empty statements. They they, they, they don't lead to anything. Um, and we're, we're only taught about this later in life, that it, actually you should be complementing the action rather than the out, outcome. So if, if a student gets a C, but they actually did do some work, well, compliment the work that they committed to get that C. Compliment that Thursday night where they put an hour aside to say, you know, I, I really, I saw you I saw you step away when we were watching TV and go to your room to study for that and put those 30 minutes aside. That's why you did so well and got this C. And you're going to be able to do better next time because I, I understand that you now have the capacity to move, remove yourself and put the focus in. So focusing on that, that action instead of just the outcome. And the second thing is to not make it easy. Uh, parents, when they come in and they see their children trying to do... Um, trying to they're trying to solve a problem in their homework and you come in and you have a greater level of intelligence and understanding and you say oh it's so easy you just do this this and this the child won't see that you've given them the answer but they won't see it because the the neural pathways in their brain haven't actually fired yet whereas you'd be much more effective if you notice the problem and the and the solution and you try and coax them to get to that point themselves just by reframing how they actually because a lot of times when they get stuck is because they keep asking the same question and coming up with the same answer but if you just encourage them to look through different questions and achieve different answers that's why the world of mental models is so powerful because it forces you to continuously ask different questions to see what the best decision and the best outcome is. And if you can do that with your children to try and encourage them to also not feel disheartened when they can't learn or understand something. When I was growing up and I felt like I couldn't achieve something or I wasn't doing well at it, you would become disheartened and you felt like you were more stupid than the other kids because you saw them scoring A's. But they've done tests with students to see that when you actually tell the kids before an exam, they've done two different groups. They told one group, this exam is going to be really hard you're going to learn a lot from the difficulty of it. The more difficult it is, the more you're learning. Those students scored way better than the kids who were just brought in to do the same test, but were just treated as if it was a normal exam. So priming people to recognize that that challenge, that difficulty, means that good work is being done, as opposed to that they're not smart enough, helps them to sustain that work over a period of time. And I think builds a sense of resiliency, which is being lost on, on generations today. And I feel like this is this is relevant for the workplace as well. Most definitely. Right? Laying uh, that expectation among uh, among the people on your team, but then also most people, you know, I always say 70% of the advice we don't take is that given to us by other people, right? And you have to learn why it is that you're making the decisions that you're making. And that's a lot of, from a fundamental management and leadership perspective, using that question mindset so that people can kind of make that 
understanding or, or gain that conceptual understanding so that they can move forward. So it's beyond just children. It can go right into the, the workplace. For sure. And I think it's, I think more than anything, it's, it's focusing on wisdom rather than information. You know, wisdom is such a valuable thing. Wisdom is being able to pull from the right knowledge at the right time. Whereas information is just knowing a thing. And, you know, in it, I don't know. We we see it a lot with people who, who follow sports. I'm sure you've been around people where they'll start just throwing out stats of players and things. <laughs> and it drives you crazy because yeah. you know that a lot of these people just don't understand the game. You know, they might they might be able to just throw out stats and figures about players. Oh, he got this or he got that. Or, you know, he played the, this game and that year. And it's, 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 there's no knowledge of the game. There's no knowledge of the team. There's no knowledge of the player. And we applaud that today because we we view that as intelligence. But I, I see wisdom as the hierarchy that sits above everything else. And you know, wisdom takes deeper thought and, and it takes it takes a more human uh, connection where you can like converse about things and, and challenge your, your insights and, and make sure that you're not being... It's focusing on being stupid less than being as intelligent as you can be. And that's I think that's a better way of looking at things. Or as yeah, as wise as you could be. So let's talk. So we have beliefs about our own intelligence mm. that we walk around with. Mm. I mean, if we were to get into tactics on how you can actually change your your belief system on how intelligent you are, or are there exercises that people could do to challenge their their intelligence systems or their conceptual thinking? How do people get started down this kind of belief changing system? Right. So uh, I think it's worth viewing what your hang-ups are uh, because you may feel like you're so we can we can bring this down to the cognitive skills aspect of things where you may believe that you don't have good attention and focus which is the vast majority of people today everybody struggles with their attention and focus and that's because there's another world out there which is making most of its money off our attention and is uh, making great money you know you've got you've got google instagram facebook same thing but youtube all these different platforms um and then all the news companies and everybody it, 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 we are in an economy where attention is it's attention money. attention is our data and data is their is their is their money so i think it's it's so vital to recognize that you need to retain that and maintain that that's kind of going off on a different tangent so how people can make improvements within themselves is to first of all look at actually what their hang-ups are so uh, to give you some of the most common ones that people have i don't have good attention i am a slow reader I don't have very good memory. I can't remember people's names. I couldn't learn that new thing because I wasn't good at school. I didn't do well at exams. I only know what I know. I, I, I wouldn't have an interest in doing that because you'd have a fear of not doing well at it. And it's worth going a little bit deeper as to why those beliefs are there. And when you actually start to understand them, some of them might come back to the grades that you got in school. And if it comes back to the grades that you got in school, you can absolutely release those because they are not indicative of your ability to learn. They are That your- is such good news for me because <laughs> I was – and I hope my parents listen to this one. I am highly intelligent regardless of what my grades told me. That's good. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> So many of us are, and and what 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 exams in school are is there your ability to squeeze information into your short term memory. Some people are good at that. Some people naturally have an ability to do that. Some people are naturally able to think about things in systems thinking. So when they are solved with when they're when they're presented with this new subject that they need to learn, they just see the system. 
They see how it all comes together and they understand the concept straight away. Some people need it to be presented to them in different formats through different forms of media. So if you did have any hang-ups on those things, let them go and start to focus on making improvements. So if you feel like you don't have a good reading ability, you can improve your reading ability. You can do it through speed reading. I've got videos on my YouTube channel on some of these things. There's going to be more and more related to all of these cognitive skills coming out over time. So check that out and there will be things there which you can watch and learn and implement those different, different frameworks. If you feel like you have a bad memory, and you're not able to memorize things. Instead of memorizing things, memorized visuals. So start moving towards the visual concept of learning because that's what sticks in the mind. When we, th- when we were taught how to learn, we were fo- so focused on the words, but the words don't resonate in our minds. That's why we struggle to remember people's names because we think that we just need to remember their name. But if we connect their name to a visual... So if I'm thinking of you, Jim, and I'm thinking of, you know, usually what I will do is if somebody has a name of somebody who I already know, I will just picture that other person's head beside your head. And it makes it easier. So last week, I I met this lady, Emily Pearson. Uh, I was on her podcast. And to remember her name, I remembered Emily Blunt on one head. And I remembered Nigel Pearson on the other head. And therefore, I was able to remember Emily Pearson. And she was like that that three-headed dog from Harry Potter. That is a frightening-looking person. (laughs) And you don't need to tell people what you're seeing. (laughs) But it helps because that's the way the brain works. So there there are... it's, it's probably hard to maybe give a framework of how people can tackle all of these things in this short segment. But understanding that cognitive skills are just a skill. They are not a talent that you're born with. So you can improve these things. And all of these just need to be reflected upon and using different mental models of how you approach it. And this, this is all available on my YouTube channel if you want to dive deep into it. And that's, um, that's an important thing to remember that anybody can do this. Mm. This isn't really regard. It, it doesn't matter about your current skill set. It doesn't matter about your grades from before. It doesn't matter about anything. If you want to make the effort and put the time in. And I feel like, you know, I, I stand on my little soapbox all the time talking about, you know, Ant and the Grasshopper, the people who do the work now are going to be successful as the economy changes. And you have to start learning about these different concepts in terms of, you know, as these roles and jobs go away of just repetitive stuff, thinking accounting or anything else, how are you taking what you've learned to transition that into a different industry or into a different company or into a different role completely? And this is the work that that people need to do today. Yeah, and it also makes you a much more adaptive person because once you understand how to break things apart, you know, when when I was younger and I would be faced with a book, which I knew I should read, but I wasn't that, but I saw it as being quite dense. I would only look at it through one way, and that was that I had to read page to page. And I would often get to the point of frustration where the book would be put down. Now, I feel like it's it's this little Lego house that I can take apart. And I start to figure out what are the parts that are most relevant to me, and then I can build upon those, and then I can start to look at the other parts of information. So now, I'll, I'll read the opening paragraph of each chapter, and I'll go through each chapter, so that I'm trying to start to build a concept as to what the argument is here. And then I'll try to find what the central theme of the book is. And then I'll try to understand, well, what's the argument? Why are they making that central theme? And that can just be breaking it down into parts. And then, if I'm still intrigued by it, now I can start to go into the book itself. Whereas in the past, I would just be, I would feel frustrated and stumped. Which is a great example of, you know, a book is linear, right? And when you open a book, you start at page one, 
sentence one, word one, and you go straight through to the end. You're talking about a fundamentally different way to read a book, mm. which is fascinating. And when you think about, I mean, when I think about new ways to learn, I'm not thinking about, all right, well, I'm just going to pick up this book and I'm going to read, you know, whatever, and I'm learning. But there are the way, the behaviors that we use in order to learn, we can really question the full gamut from top to bottom. 100%. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, the, the, I, I remember t- t- in a workshop telling people that they could read, they could skip chapters. I'd be like, oh. And then I remember telling people... <laughs> That's once, cheating. Yeah, yeah, because we've been taught that, you know? Yeah. Where does that come from? And then I remember telling people that sometimes if you read the last three pages of a fictional book, you'll enjoy it far more. People were stunned. How can you do that? You ruin it all. But sometimes you don't because oftentimes... You know, I, I I was teaching a workshop. It was an eight-hour workshop before on, on speed reading. And I found out the night before that we were going to be covering Animal Farm, uh, the George Orwell book. And I'd never read Animal Farm. And this was, I think we were teaching it Saturday. I actually had to meet people for dinner that Friday night. So I only had one hour to read the book before we went into the workshop the next day. And I started off by reading the last three pages. So I knew where all this was going with the animals, how it was all going to finish up. And then I, I, I flicked through the opening page of each chapter. And then I did a quick skim, like one second per page, to see what characters were showing up and what characters were going to disappear throughout the book. And I already had a fair idea in about the space of six minutes what the whole book was about. So now I was just reading to kind of plug in different elements of the story and the narrative. Now, if I was sitting by the beach and I wanted to just read for enjoyment, don't approach it that way because you're reading for the purpose of enjoyment. But if you're reading for the purpose of extraction, then treat it as a tool of extraction. And for most of us in our lives, we are reading for extraction. But we don't think about it that way. We think about it absorption. We think about it through the eye of absorption, where we need to absorb the words. We need to stew in them. We need to bathe in them. But you don't. You can train yourself to move beyond that. And the thing about it is that we were never taught how to do that in school. So why would we ever believe that that's possible? But this is the goal of this company, to change those paradigms, to change those mental frameworks, so that just by doing that alone gives people so much confidence. Because books are an access point to infinite knowledge. And a lot of us have a negative association with reading or a belief of what we like and don't like based on what we were capable of achieving at school. But once you understand how to play with it and treat it like like this kind of malleable thing that you can break apart, then it makes the whole process of learning far more fun. That's awesome. And, you know, I love reading. And so in, in the back of my mind, as I was just spacing out what you were talking about, I'm like, I wonder if I could do that with Proust. Because it's like 4,000 pages and I don't want to get through all of it. But it's – I don't think you could do that. Proust. Yeah. Tell me about Proust. Well, it's, you know, the remembrance of things past and it's the seven novels that he's got and each sentence is like four pages long. And if I could do it and just, you know, you can't do it. But it depends. What are you, what are you trying to get from that when you well, read those that's, books? So that's where my next question was going to be is, you know, we don't really question why we're doing things. Mm. We just get into the habit. And so, you know, Proust writes beautiful language on, you know, the way he describes asparagus is like the most beautiful thing in the world. So you're getting that the beauty of language in something like that. Yeah. But you're right. When you pick up a book like, I don't know, um, factfulness or something with, you know, changing uh, or maybe a workbook, you know, talking about how to operate in an office. You're not necessarily pulling it out for the language. You're pulling it out for things to help you change your behavior. And when we think about, you know, why you're reading a book, we just look at, oh, I have to read this book. We don't think about why. We just, I have to get through this book and I have to go through these pages. And this is going to, my wife's going to be go bananas now because I'm going to just buy a whole bunch of more books to, to get through. But it changes, you know, giving yourself license 
to, and it's not cheating to just say, you know what, I'm reading the first paragraph or looking at the end or what am I pulling out of this and is this important for me to read right now or what am I looking for in this book? Do you feel like when you're rushing through a book like that, and maybe it's not rushing, are you almost just looking for the information you're looking for? And are you still learning? How much, you know, from your mental model as you're going through this book to say, let's say I take this workbook, I'm reading the end and then I'm, I'm leafing through it. Am I, is it possible for people to only be looking for information to reiterate what they believe? You know, how much does that influence what we're learning versus learning a new concept or a new idea? So I think it's so important to learn for now, as opposed to thinking and uh, learning for the future. Some of us can get caught up in this idea of, oh, I'd like to know this in two or three years, so I'll, I'll read about this now. The brain doesn't work that way. Our amygdala is designed to only focus on me here now. So if you're reading a book and half of it is relevant to what you need at this moment in time, then just read that half. You don't need to read all of it. I, I read a book um, over the Christmas called The Organized Mind. It was an interesting book. It was slightly haphazard in how it was framed, but there were parts of the book that were relevant to me that I wanted to know. There were other parts of the book that went deep into neuroscience, which parts of it weren't so relevant to me because I'm more focused on cognitive neuroscience. So when I got to those, I would kind of do a quick skim of that chapter and realize this isn't that relevant to me now. I might read it in the future, but I know it exists and I'll come back to it. And that helps you to stay engaged because to get the most out of the information, you need to personalize it. You need to think about how it's relevant to me here now. The amygdala is crying out for that. That's why marketing companies do so well. That's why social media is so effective, because we are always being informed through the network effect of how this is relevant to me here now, or how I wish I had what other people had for me here now. And we need to think about that in terms of learning. It's the same when we teach people, when there are workshops or talks I'm changing the way that I do workshops entirely, where for the past, I was always going in and I would I would talk and I would have uh, slides and then I would do some drills. I'm changing that completely where I won't be talking ever on like one single time frame for longer than 15 to 20 minutes because I've started to recognize that it is all about how you can engage people through this. And I learned this through Kieran O'Mahony, because the, the neuroscientist, because he has applied his knowledge and his teachings from school to businesses, where he's been able to cut down onboarding for new hires from 51 weeks to three and a half weeks, because it's all about just focusing on what's, what's most important. Because there's always that big idea, right? You mentioned about how a lot of the times about 70% of the advice we get will disregard. Because a lot of it is is somebody's desire to share what they want to share as opposed to how from it's... From their perspective. From their right. perspective yeah. as opposed to shaping it around the person who they're speaking to. This is similarly, again, why insurance companies are so interested in the work that we do because they're struggling. Their wholesalers are going and they're learning about these financial products. They feel like they have it down. So they want to go and show off everything that they know about these financial products as opposed to making it built around me here. Now, it applies to sales entirely. It applies to how people, you know, if you're going to sell something, you don't have to sell everything. You have to sell what's most relevant to the person that's receiving it, how you're fixing that particular issue or that desire that they may have. And the same goes for learning and reading. So if you're not feeling, and it's also very important to do a little skim of a book beforehand and realize, is this what I want to read right now? There's many books on my shelf, and some of them I know I will read in the future, and some of them I know are just not that relevant to me now, but I'll get there. You know, I'll, I'll get there because there will come a point where something will click. And when you have enough books on the shelf, that happens all the time where you're like, yeah. I'm feeling this today, I'm feeling that today. And then when you read it, you get so much more out of reading that book for three days than you would if you were trying to labor over it for three weeks. So don't beat yourself up about it, thinking that you need to be this 
Bill Gates, you, you realize that what's what's most important is a, a tiered effect. I, I always talk about learning like a game of Tetris, where you need to recognize that learning is building upon the existing foundation of what you already have. So in school, we were taught how to learn in isolation. Teacher comes in, teaches a subject matter. We just learn that subject matter. That's why it only exists in our short-term memory, because we just learned that thing which they dumped upon us and we had to repeat it until we understood it or didn't understand it but could remember it. Learning for the long term is when it's connected to what you already know. That's why when people tell stories when they're trying to teach something, that's why it sticks, because you're able to connect it to those emotional touch points. And that's why when you're reading or trying to learn something, think, how can I relate this to what I already know or what I'm already aware of? And treat it like a game of Tetris where you have to move that shape, that new shape that's coming in, to make it fit in with what's already down in the bottom layers. And that's why it's like building upon those layers of knowledge. Fantastic. So as you do that now, um, I want to make sure we get plugs for your YouTube Mm. channel and everything because you do a lot of this online, Mm. right? So tell us about where people can find you, all the online stuff that you do. So we the, the, the way the company works is we do workshops with businesses. And then we also have an online program for businesses as well. So it's it's uh, it's called the Untapped Mind, and it goes through a number of different of the cognitive skills and mental models that pe- people can apply over the online course. And the workshops are designed to create that sense of transformation in a short burst of time, whereas the online programs are designed to create new habits and new belief systems and cognitive skills training over a long, prolonged period of time to fix a certain problem within a company. But then for individuals, I also have a ton of content online. So on my YouTube channel, you can just search Patrick McAndrew. The company is the BoweryCommon.com, B-O-W-E-R-Y-C-O-M-M-O-N. So the BoweryCommon.com. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am under there, under Patrick McAndrew. And outside of all of this, I host the Digital Irish Podcast, uh, which is a podcast about global Irish innovation, and um, that can be found on the Digital Irish Podcast. So, yeah, you can reach out to me on any of those fronts, and if you wanted to email me or get in touch, it is patrick at thebowerycommon.com or on those social channels. You're everywhere. Everywhere. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, and I like that you mentioned habits, because I feel like learning now and conceptual learning has to become a habit. Yeah, and it's a habit that you're going to have to build up and you're going to have to work on. And it's something that is evolutionary over time. It's not something that you can – once you've done school, you're not just done school. You're going back to school now and relearning habits on the way to to operate really. Yeah, you know, this this life that we live is 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 a constant progression to get to to be happy with who we are and satisfied with who we are. But to recognize that there is more that we can, that we can pull from ourselves and – learning gets you there faster than anything else and reading certainly gets you there faster than anything else because there is a beauty of broadening your perspective and there's a beauty of when you come across something that shifts your perspective and looks at things through a different lens and it is is a great shame if people don't allow themselves the opportunity to do that because they have maintained beliefs about what their abilities are from school because we're so much more than the grades that we received at school we're so much more than what the teachers taught us we were capable of doing And once you can start to find a way that works for you, and that's why we treat these as concepts. So these are concepts that can be applied to anything. They can literally be applied to any sort of thing you want to learn. I'm applying it to dancing at the moment. I'm a brutal dancer, but I want to be a good dancer and I'm applying this to dancing. Um, And you you can do it for anything. That's excellent. Uh, we wrap up every show with a book recommendation. Speaking of all the reading that you're doing, mm-hmm. what is your book recommendation for everybody today? So 
the most profound book that I read of 2019 was a book called Range by David Epstein. And people may have heard the 10,000 hour rule, which was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers. And David Epstein takes a counter argument to that about why generalists thrive in a specialized world. And if there was ever a time where it's most relevant, it is today where there is more and more of a desire of a specialized perspective and a specialized mindset. And he goes into great detail of many different types of genres in the world where special, where generalization thrives over specialization. And he also frames it very well to understand why some people benefit from specializing and some people don't. And also talks about learning, talks about the way the mind works. It, it really is a very broad book, um, which I love because a lot of books today only have one talking point, one joke, as Seth Godin refers to it, and then they pad it out with many analogies. Yep. This covers many different areas under the concept of why generalization is such a beneficial skill. And it's not a book that's as popular as I think it should be. So I'd recommend it to people if if you have a desire to improve yourself or to think about maybe broadening your capacity to work in other industries or you have an itch to go somewhere else. Um, or you have a hang-up that you need to become better at just one thing, read this book because it will give you a true human perspective on, on why having a sense of range in anything that you do is, is a, is a value-add. Fantastic. Very relevant. Very relevant today as, as the economy changes. That's great. Patrick, thank you so much for being here. This has been uh, enlightening for me. I love learning about learning in the way, you know, the way that it should be done. And uh, everyone always seems to be an expert on the way you're supposed to do things. Uh, this kind of just shows people that you could be your own expert, which is which is Absolutely. fantastic. That's great. Uh, more information on Patrick is on the website, bellwetherhub.com. I'm going to link to all of his websites and YouTube channel and everything. Uh, check it out. It will be one of the most beneficial things I think that you can do, uh, especially this month. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Patrick. And I look forward to seeing everyone out there. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Bellwether.